We welcome you to the media ministry of Denton Bible Church. Those of you who are online and those of you here tonight, I want to ask you a question. Can two walk together? You may say, what do you mean by that? Amos 3.3 in a King James Version says this. Can two walk together except they be agreed? It's talking about do they get along? Do they think the same, have the same worldview, the same ideas? Now, that doesn't mean you like everything that someone else does. You're not going to find another person that likes all the food you do and likes all the clothes you, you wear and likes all the shows you like to watch. You're not going to find somebody that's a clone of yourself. But we walk with somebody that we agree with. We have like-mindedness, our heart, our worldview, our hopes, our desires, our belief system. Our core values are the same, and we have fellowship. The Apostle John said it like this, if we walk in the light as he, Jesus, is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And he was talking about the apostolic witness there between those apostles. Uh, when Barnabas took Paul, Saul at that time, and said, come on, I'm going to take you up, and you're going to meet Peter and John. Well, he hadn't met them before, but they gave the right hand of fellowship. They found out they had the same Holy Spirit, God was working the same ways in their life to different groups of people. They had unity. They had fellowship. So can two walk together except they be agreed? Pretty soon, hey, if you had a friend before that you might have grown up with, you spent a lot of time, but as you got older, your paths kind of separated and, and you actually went different directions in your life. There's reasons for that. Now, before I go any further uh, this evening, I want to ask you, how many of you have heard a sermon before about a girl named Salome? Some people would pronounce that Salome or something else, but Salome. Raise your hand if you have. You have? Okay, you have good. Yeah, very, very few. This is not the one you pull out on Easter morning or on Christmas Eve. It's a very serious thing that happened here in the Gospel of Mark. And, uh, but I believe it's so timely for where we are right now in our country and in our world. Um, we'll talk about that in just a minute. I want to ask you, though, how does, it seem, how does it seem to you that people can be so far apart in what we believe? Are we just noticing it more? I don't think that's the case. I think we're seeing that more, that people in our country, in our communities, where we are surrounded, where we go to school, where we work, where our families are connected... We have different opinions that are getting a wider gap all the time. How can people have... Talking about, do you like broccoli? I want to tell you, you can have all the broccoli in the world. Uh, I'll never come and ask you for some of your broccoli. You can have it all. We have different uh, opinions on foods and things like that. But I'm talking about on right and wrong and morality and how to live and how to be a good citizen, how to be a good mom, dad, son, daughter. I'm seeing for the first time in my life a drastic chasm, a drastic gulf. And I'm not talking politically. It shows up there. I'm not talking about just in the church. It shows up there. In our school systems, in our institution, it shows up on all those things. But I've never seen polar opposite opinions that you can't even get close to one another in belief. I mean, so far, it's the North Pole and the South Pole. And tonight, I believe that this passage will give us a little bit of insight, and I hope will give us some hope on what we can do to make sure 
that our view, our focus, our life, our direction is pleasing to God. Thank you, Jarrett, for reading that a moment ago. He read in Mark chapter 6, and he, Jesus, was going around the villages teaching. You remember, he's just been in Nazareth. And in Nazareth, his own town, uh, they didn't believe him. They didn't trust him. His own brothers and family didn't for a long time. Jesus ended up saying, a prophet is not without honor except in his own hometown. And why is that? Tommy preached about that this morning, if if you heard the the morning service. It wasn't the message that Jesus had necessarily that they rejected. It was who he was. We know who you are. You're that carpenter. We know about you. You went to school with our kids. You grew up. You're not not one of what we're expecting. You're not a Pharisee or Sadducee. You're just a, a laborer. You're a blue-collar worker. We know who your family is. Wow. Would you like to miss heaven just because you didn't recognize and admit who Jesus was because you lived in the same town with him? That's what a lot of them did. In fact, last week we saw that Jesus couldn't do many miracles because they didn't believe. So, Mark chapter 6, verse 7 says, And he, Jesus, summoned the twelve and began to send them out in pairs. You might remember this. He's going to send them out to heal the sick, to raise the dead. He's going to send them out to do miracles. They're going to give their testimonies. They're going to do works in his name. Now, this is the sending out of the twelve. Another place in the Gospels, Jesus sent 70 people out. And they came back, you remember, rejoicing that they had power. And Jesus told them, Real quickly, don't you rejoice you have power. Rejoice in salvation. Rejoice that your names are written in the Lamb's book of life. But in in this verse 7, it says, He summoned the twelve and began to send them out in pairs. The word sent is apostalion. And it carries with it the idea of an ambassador. It's an official representation. If we had an ambassador for the evening service at Denton Bible Church... We hope that that person, man or woman, would go out and and say what we say. If they go out and say, I don't believe anything they believe in that room in there, I'm just going to tell you what I think about it. They're not an ambassador. They're not a representative. You and I are supposed to have, not getting political, we're supposed to have a representative form of government. Do our political officials always say what we want them to say? They don't represent some of us, do they? So here, that word in Greek is talking about sent out with an official representation. They're going out in Jesus' name. Missionaries today have that for the sake of the name. That verse is dear to them. And so that's the way he sent them out. Uh, One of the things that I want to really draw your attention to, it is so, so important. Jesus didn't send people out alone. You and I are supposed to do ministry together. He sent them out in pairs. Deuteronomy 17.6, you're probably familiar Uh, Even in law, in the Jewish uh, court system, let everything be established two or three witnesses. You couldn't bring an accusation by yourself if you didn't have witnesses. It wouldn't hold up very well. You had to have two or three witnesses let every word be established. And so it was important, and when a Jew talked about that, that there needed to be more than one person, that would be very common to them. But in this case, the ministry, he's saying, I want to send you out in twos. And I want you to think about that for a minute. 
That's one of the things that I want to raise my hand and say, my 25-year-old self, boy, if I could talk to him, I would say a lot of good things. He would probably say a lot of things to me too. But one of the things that I didn't realize is the need that I had. I had friends. I had brothers and sisters in Christ. I always did. But there was a time of ministry in my life that I did not have a close brother. I had a lot of brothers, but I didn't have a close brother that would hold me accountable, that would be a pastor, a shepherd to me when I needed. Uh, When I fell down, that he'd be there to pick me up or I could do the same for him. So Jesus sent them out in pairs. It's very important that we don't go out alone. There's no such thing as a Lone Ranger Christian. God intended for us to do ministry together. Iron sharpens iron, so we sharpen one another. Two are better than one, the scripture says. If one falls, one is there to lift the other one up, and a threefold cord is not easily broken. Uh, The Life Application Bible, I thought that was interesting. They they gave some reasons why they believe that, uh, in their commentary, why Jesus would send people out in pairs. Here's what they said. First of all, they said single people probably, if they went out on their own, could cover more territory. That makes sense. Two people, they have two different schedules maybe. They have two different families, two different... They can't maybe do as much as one person. But the advantages were they could strengthen and encourage one another. Uh, I tell you what, in visiting people and reaching out and uh, so many times, I am encouraged and lifted up if somebody goes with me. Uh, I've visited all my life people in rest homes and in hospitals and in their homes and in their businesses. And I love doing that just to do life with them. I think that's the example that Jesus said. But it sure is easier to do that when you got somebody with you. So it's an encouraging factor. Number two, they could comfort in rejection. Sometimes you're going to go out to witness, to visit somebody, and you're going to get rejected. And it, it's good to have a brother or sister there with you to say, man, we're going to get through this. It's okay. You know, it's not you. I'll never forget I went with an elder of our church to go visit a lady. Apartment complex. The, uh, the, are they called Venetian blinds, the shades? You know, I'm, I guess they're still called that. And we could see the light on in there. The television was going. The dog was barking. They were talking. The porch light was on. So we knocked the door, knocked on the door to visit this lady. We saw someone peel the blinds back, and all of a sudden, whoosh, they shut. The TV went off. The do- the dog got muzzled, and the funny part was the light right above us on the porch went out. Now, do you think they were trying to tell us something? <laughs> we we turned around and just started laughing because evidently they didn't want us to visit them. They saw who it was and didn't want to visit that night. But you know what? I'm glad I wasn't by myself. It was okay. I had a buddy with me. And that's what you and I can do for one another. Uh, There should be a band of brothers and a sorority of sisters in the church. We need each other. Uh, Number three, they can give each other discernment. I've watched often when I've taken somebody to visit with me and we're talking and there's needs that the family would have or the person would have, and I totally miss it. I mean, I'm in left field, and when we leave, they say, hey, we ought to help them in this way, and I go, oh, I never thought of that. So God sends people out in pairs. It's good to have brothers and sisters with us. The ministry of God is to be not by ourselves. 
uh, sometimes we just get tired and we need somebody to help us and to encourage us and lift us up and, and really to, to uh, stir us up to action. The Apostle Paul said to Timothy, stir up, one version says, the gift that's inside of you. Sometimes I need some stirring up, encouragement. It says he summoned the 12, began to send them out in pairs and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. This is real important. They did not have that on their own. They didn't learn it in rabbinical school. They didn't get it from their mom and dad. To cast out demons uh, where someone is literally possessed by the devil, that is not something you practice until you learn how to do it. It is a gift from Jesus here. It said he gave them authority over those unclean spirits. You all know the story in the book of Acts where the, the uh, Jewish uh, exorcists, they called themselves, were dealing with someone that had a demon and they, they just decided because they'd heard about Jesus, they'd heard about the apostles, we command you by the Jesus that Paul preaches. Now that's kind of name dropping, isn't it? <laughs> we command you to come out of that, that person. And you remember what the demon said? Jesus we know and Paul we know, but who are you? And those guys barely escaped with their, with their life. Authority. These are representatives. They are empowered by Christ. They're not going in their own way, their own words. They are given power over unclean spirits. And this is specific to this mission here. Uh, it doesn't mean that every Christian at all times and all generations will all have the gifts that God gave to one another or Jesus gave to his, to his disciples for a certain season. He instructed them, and this is interesting, that they should take nothing for their journey except a mere staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belt, but to wear sandals. And he added, do not put on two tunics. Now, I don't know about you, but when you go on vacation, do you take a lot of things with you? What is that phrase when somebody says, why are you bringing that and why are you bringing that? You never know when you might need it. Uh, I, I, my wife and I love to camp some and uh, we love to go out to state parks and you know they're pretty fun most of the time and cook out in the, in the open air and just spend some time together and, and try to get our family to do that we bought a large uh, larger trailer in the beginning because we just knew our grown children would be there with us never once so we're hauling this trailer that's 10 feet too long around everywhere and uh, but, but if I said we're camping, if you knew what all, my wife, Holly, I love you if you're listening online right now. Maybe she's not, and I'll get home before she knows about this. But you can't believe what all we've got in that trailer. I'm talking about you never know when you might need these clothes. You never know when we might need this dishware. You never know when we need these. And it is not camping. You've heard of glamping? This is glamping. Jesus said, I want you to go out in my name. Don't even take two coats with you. Don't take any money with you. Now, that's hard to believe. My wife is forever going out of town and not taking any money. And I say, please take some cash with you. Oh, I don't need it. And I say, you don't know what you might need. Would you please do that? And I'm stressed about it. She's doing fine. Jesus said, I don't want you to take any extra money. Take a staff in your hand. Put your shoes on. And don't even take two coats. Now, why would he do that? He is trying to encourage and to teach this group of, of, the, of the disciples their dependency on Christ. 
How many of you have ever made a big decision in your life? You stepped out in faith, not tempting God, but believing you went in the direction God wanted you to and you had no idea how it was gonna take place. It may not be the right time financially, may not be the right time with your family situation, it may not be the right time ministry-wise. When we moved here to Denton Bible to, to the uh, place where we live up north of here, I had a friend of mine before we left, he said, what if you get there and you, uh, you can't get a job, your wife can't get a job, your daughter doesn't like the school, your mother-in-law, and he just went on this long list of what ifs. And I looked at him, listened to all of them, and I said, I'm going anyway. I'm going anyway. Because I believe that's what God showed us to do. And I don't, I, not tempting God, not saying, uh, oh, well, he'll just give us a job when we get there. No, he didn't have to do anything. But in this case right here, he said, don't even take, take an extra coat with you. They were gonna have to depend on Jesus for every meal. Somebody touched by God to help provide a meal for them. They were gonna have to depend on somebody else to give them a place to stay every, uh, every time that they went somewhere. Depending on Christ for the needs that they have. He instructed them that they should take nothing for their journey except a mere staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belt, but to wear sandals. And he added, do not put on two tunics. He gave them authority. The disciples were inadequate. Christ is adequate. He gave them the instructions on what to do. They were equipped for the work of the ministry that was needed. They were given power by Jesus. They were given everything they needed. I prayed just a moment ago, and I don't mind mentioning it again. I, I pray that very often, Lord, when I walk up here, please empty me. There shouldn't be anything inside of us, humanly speaking, that we're holding on to thinking about when we handle the word of God. The, the, uh, David said, Lord, uh, open my mouth and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. David said, you've got to even open my mouth. You've got to say it. You've got to preach. You've got to teach. And so one of the best prayers we can pray is empty me. Empty me and fill us up with you. By not taking extra, and I am the world's worst. You never know when you might need it. I take extra everything. Jesus said, don't take anything extra. Trust me. And he said to him, verse 10, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave town. Now I want you to think about somebody in your life. We have some people in the church that have the gift of hospitality. Do you agree? I mean, they are ready to help somebody. Uh, how many of you know someone that during this, this ice storm that we had, they f just flew the doors of their house open and people came and stayed there with them and, and had hot water and electricity. Do you know some people that did? There are people that have a generous, hospitable heart. And that is so good. I'm amazed. Uh, we've been praying about some things in our office for some people recently. And I've just sent out the need. If anyone could help with this. And not long ago I said, uh, the, the rest homes and the, the retirement centers have for a year been locked down. They could see their family through the window. How frightening is that? for somebody maybe dealing with a little bit of memory issues anyway, and they can't even hug their, their loved ones and their family, and so they wave throughout the window and see them. And guys, you just can't get in there. It's been a year now. And I sent out the, the word, would anybody like to help buy snacks, prepackaged snacks, drinks, 
for these retirement centers and rest homes in Denton. And we'll just load them up, take them to the front there, talk to the facility uh, people there, administration, and say this is for all the workers and for all the people in there. We did that several weeks for the retirement centers, rest homes in Denton, Texas. We finally had to say, people, quit bringing stuff. You've brought so much in abundance. Uh, we'll share it in another place, whoever has that need. That's, I'm, just, I'm just blown away by that. Because when God's in it, he provides for it. Do you agree? Elijah, I've commanded a widow woman to feed you and to sustain you. It's not going to rain for three and a half years. You need food and water, don't you? I'm going to, I'm going to send you to a widow woman. She's going to take care of you. In my mind, I'm thinking, wow, she must be wealthy. She has got a lot of provisions and Elijah gets there and finds out this woman's gathering sticks to build the last fire to make the last food for her and her little boy and, and, and they're going to die. See, it's not always what it looks like. But Elijah said, sounds like it's rude. He said, go make some food for me first and then make it for your little boy and yourself. Now he's not being rude. He's not being inconsiderate. He is trusting God Almighty. And when that woman went, took the last bit of meal cooked it and brought it to the man of God she went back and saw there's some for her too and her little boy cooked it they all ate she went back to where that meal and oil was before and there's still some more and she cooked it again and God did just what he said he provided for his man of God through a widow woman who didn't have anything that's the way ministry goes we don't tempt God we don't test him we don't tell him what to do we walk in faith like these disciples did there. And he said, a workman is worthy of his hire. And I see hospitality among you people. I know stories about many of you I'm looking at right now. Hospitality, that is wonderful. Do you know that's one of the requirements for an elder in the church? He must be hospitable, have a hospitable heart. So he said, whatever house you enter to, into that house, stay there until you leave town. Now, I, this is kind of comical to me. What if I get to a house and I, I share the gospel with them and then I find out somebody else would, would uh, let me stay there and they've got a real nice pool and uh, they eat uh, four meals a day instead of three and Jesus is saying, no, don't wait for a bigger, better deal and then leave the first people and go. Those of you in the mission field, you realize how gracious, I bet I could ask some of you, uh, when you go sit down with someone in another country, often they give you what might appear like something, a small portion to you and I here in Texas. But what are they giving? The best they have. They're giving all they have. I talked with a man not long ago in Kenya. He was visiting there and uh, he, it, he had, it had been a while back since he had gone but they went out to a restaurant, four or five other men with him. Um, they said, what would you like to eat? So he just ordered like we would here in North Texas. He ordered whatever the food was. They brought it to him and he noticed all the rest of those men were just drinking something. They didn't order food. And he realized they pooled all their money together to buy him a meal because he was their guest. 
course, that made him feel like, oh, no, here. I want to buy everybody something. But that's hospitality. That is what the church ought to be doing. That's what believers ought to be doing. So he said, when you go there, stay in the, 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 the house that you go. Any place that does not receive you or listen to you as you go out from there, shake the dust off the soles of your feet for a testimony against him. You've probably heard that many times. Uh, Nazareth didn't believe him, but many of these places where they went out are gonna believe in Jesus. Remember, unbelief forfeits the blessings of God. Unbelief forfeits some of the blessings and the good things of the Lord. Verse 12, they went out and preached that men should repent. That's interesting. They didn't preach a warm, fuzzy message, you know, your best life now, 10 steps to having all that you've ever wanted in your life. They went out preaching like John the Baptist, repent. Repent, for the kingdom's heaven is at hand. Repent, Jesus is coming. Repent, get right with the Lord. And any pastor, preacher worth his salt, his message is gonna have that same thing in it, repent. And he went out, preached that men should repent, and they were casting out demons, were anointing with oil, many sick people, and healing them. Just as Jesus said, I'm gonna give you power to do that. And look at verse 14. Then King Herod heard of it. Now, this is Herod Antipas. He is the son of Herod the Great. He's called a king here, King Herod, but he's actually not a king. He's a tetrarch. He's a ruler over a certain area. Uh, he's kind of a self-appointed king. He calls himself and would want to be called a king, thought of, but not actually a king. When King Herod heard of it, for his name had become well-known, Jesus' name was getting out, and people were saying, John the Baptist is risen from the dead. That's why this miraculous powers are at work in him. But others were saying he's Elijah. Others were saying he's a prophet like one of the prophets of old. You remember Jesus asked his disciples one day, whom do men say that I am? Some say you're Elijah. Some say you're one of the Old Testament prophets. Some say, and then Jesus asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? I'm convinced that every man, woman, and child is gonna answer that before they get through living. Who do you say Jesus is? Who do you say Jesus is? Who do you say Jesus is? You're the Christ, Peter said, the son of the living God. So Herod heard of it. Jesus is getting popular. It's getting voiced around what he's doing. Some are saying he's John the Baptist risen from the dead, and that's why these miraculous powers are in him. Others said it's Elijah. And then it says, but when Herod heard of it, he kept saying, John, whom I beheaded, has risen. Now, in the Gospel of Mark, that is an astounding statement. Herod thinks this is John the Baptist that he cut his head off. He is the one here that is doing all these miracles. Have you ever watched a movie and you thought, I missed something? I missed something. We haven't heard about this yet in Mark. John is still alive the last we knew of in Mark and now he said he is, he is beheaded. What kind of TV shows have you watched recently that have flashbacks? you remember those? How many of you know, some of you a little bit older. Some of you watch This Is Us right now. They flash back all the time, don't they? Through generations and, and decades. How many of you remember who shot JR? I know how old you are if you remember that. We waited a whole half a year to find out who shot J.R. A cliffhanger on the, the, the television show Dallas. But the other one that I liked so much was Bobby Ewing gets killed and it's a real 
you know, a tearjerker for everybody that liked that character. And all in the off season, you think, what are they going to do? Well, the next year, the opening scene shows Bobby in taking a shower, and it was all a dream. You remember? So we found out that in television, if they sign the contracts and they can agree with the actors, they can bring them back from, from the dead anytime they want to. And just call it a dream and everything's okay, start off. Well, Herod says, this is John the Baptist come back from the dead. Now, this is a flashback. And I'll read it quickly, and I don't have to go into too much description here. The Bible's pretty explicit here. We don't have any little, little bitties here. Before I read this to you, though, do, do any of you, I already know the answer to this, all of us, but think with me about strong desires that we have in our lives. Strong desires, strong temptations. When there's a pull in our life to do things that we know is wrong and that we shouldn't be doing them, but could we all admit, admit that those desires are very powerful sometimes? When a drug addict wants another fix, that's pretty powerful. When an alcoholic wants another drink, that's, that's very powerful. When a person given over to immorality and lust, that is like a drug. It is very powerful. Well, if you don't hear anything else through this passage here tonight, I want you to hear the fact that Jesus Christ is more powerful than any of those desires. He can give you hope and peace and assurance and encouragement and give you the strength to say no and say yes to him. But I started out asking you, how can people be so far apart in what they believe? Verse 17, for Herod himself had sinned and had John arrested and bound in prison on account of Herodias, the wife of his brother Philip, because he had married her. Men and women, we're in the United States of America. We have not known very much persecution for being a Christian. That may not be the case very, very much longer. If the church stands on God's word to pronounce the truth about salvation and the condemnation against sin, there are many people that are going to react against that. We're going to be hated. We're going to be persecuted. And some of us are going to be in very uh, much danger, very possibly in this country. John the Baptist could have kept his mouth shut, but Herod had a woman in an adulterous marriage that he shouldn't have. You don't hear that preached very much anymore, do you? You can be in adultery in your marriage. You have chosen the wrong people outside of the, the will of God, outside of the, the, the uh, uh, boundaries that God's word, word puts. What had happened here, this woman had divorced her husband who happened to be Herod's brother, and Herod said, well, I'll just marry her. I'll take my brother's wife. And it is not lawful, the scripture tells us, Leviticus 18, 16, for a man to marry his brother's wife while he's still alive. You remember in the New Testament, Jesus talked about if, if uh, it was okay for a man to marry his brother's wife if he had passed on, carry on that family name. But while he's still alive, you're not supposed to do that. Herod, Herod had taken this woman to be his wife. And John the Baptist said, you're in sin. You're in sin. Herod threw him in prison. But it's interesting. Uh, it says that 
the wife of his brother Philip because he had married her. For John had been saying to Herod, it's not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. Herodias, that's the woman who's married to Herod, had a grudge against him, wanted to put him to death and could not do so. Do you mean that this woman could be so upset that John the Baptist said you're living in adultery, you shouldn't have married, that she wants to kill him? Sometimes temptations start out very, very small. I, I was driving home from uh, about an hour away to my home years and years ago, and I came around these hills out in the country, and I saw a wall of fire. I mean, I've seen a lot of uh, ranch fires and pasture fires, but I've never seen it rolling like this. It was a rolling wall of fire, and it would just jump the roads and go to the next one. Huge fire. I think it burned over a million acres around where we lived. Started with a little spark. Small little spark. And that's what can happen here. This woman, instead of repenting of her sin, saying, yeah, we've done wrong. Thank you, John the Baptist, for telling me the truth about God's word and what is right for me to do. She had a grudge she held inside of her and it grew to the point she said, I would rather kill this man. I would literally kill this man because he told me I shouldn't be married in this way. Get ready, church. Most of the time, the church has suffered persecution in that same manner because the church said, thus says the Lord, God's word says this, and other people that reject it say, I'm gonna fight you, I'm gonna hurt you any way I can. That's a fact. Well, it says here, uh, Herod was afraid of John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he kept him safe. When he heard him, he was very perplexed, but he used to enjoy listening to him. You know, I've read this many, many times in my life, and I've never really paid attention to that phrase. Herod enjoyed listening to John the Baptist. He didn't have anything against him. He put him in jail probably to protect him from his wife because she wanted him dead, and he liked listening to him. He knew he was a righteous man. He didn't really deserve anything. But that's not how the story ends. A strategic day came when Herod on his birthday gave a banquet for his lords and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. The who's who of the land was invited to the birthday party. Herod is having a party. He's gonna invite the famous, the prosperous, the well-known, the leading men of Galilee. And during that party, his wife by adultery, Herodias, who has a daughter, not by Herod, but by the other man, comes out and starts dancing. <coughs> uh, most likely a very lewd dance. Uh, most likely that was. We don't know how old she was. Still underneath her mother's uh, accountability, authority. This little girl comes out and dances and it says, she pleased Herod and his dinner guests. <coughs> Excuse me. And the king said to the girl, Ask me for whatever you want and I'll give it to you. Now he's probably drunk. He is probably trying to impress all of his buddies that he invited to this party. Probably an attractive young girl comes out and does some kind of dancing, original dirty dancing probably that you shouldn't be doing. And he says, I'll tell you what, I'll give you half my kingdom. You just keep dancing in front of us. Little did he know what this little girl would do. I'll give you half my kingdom 
And this little girl says in verse 24, she went out and said to her mother, what shall I ask for? Now guys, if the story stopped right there, you could fill in the rest of it. Probably, you know, mom might ask for uh, extra this or lands or possessions or gold, silver. Ask him for a ring. I've been wanting this ring all the time. It could have been on any of those things. But what we read next before we're through here tonight shows why there can be polar opposites. People believe in totally different things. Look what it says. She went to her mother and said, what shall I ask for? And she said, her mother said, you ask for the head of John the Baptist. When I watch the news sometimes and I hear about a mother who takes her little children and you know what, I won't go any further. I, can't, I just can't understand. There's got to be mental illness. There's got to be drugs involved. There's got to be demon possession involved. There's got to be something there because when we hear that, we think, how could that ever take place? The mother said, go ask for the head of John the Baptist. You know what that little girl is learning? She's learning what kind of mama she's got. Now, this doesn't happen overnight. Usually it's a slow fade. It's a choice here and a choice here and a choice here. And I want you to notice something else. When someone has a grievous sin on their own, that can open the door to all kinds of other sins. This woman has an adulterous uh, situation in her life. She's refused to repent. She's so mad at the man of God that she wants him dead. And now she sees an opportunity to accomplish that. How did she get there? Well, it gets worse. What shall I ask for? And she said, the head of John the Baptist. Her mother answered her just that quick, premeditated. She had this plan. And it says immediately, this little girl, she came in a hurry to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. The little girl added two things to it. I want you to do it right now at once, and I want it on a platter. Now, how in the world, bear with me for a moment, could a little girl hear something like that and it not be so gross, grotesque, so hideous? How could it not be so far out of what that little girl would ever dream of happening? It would be frightening. But we see there's a polar opposite in belief systems here. Evidently, that didn't shock that little girl because evidently she had been hearing from her mom things like that before. Guys, when we do the same thing in our life, when we let some of you are computer people, what do they teach you? Garbage in, garbage out. Jesus said it like that, like this. The eye is the lamp of the body. And whatever we let in, we let those things in. They affect us. They come in through our eye. If our eyes sing, but if it's not, we can let things come in our lives. We've all done that before, haven't we? If we have unconfessed, unrepented sin, it's going to grow if we don't repent. And this woman evidently had given herself over to where asking for a literal man's head on a platter did not shock either one of them. Is it important what we teach our children? Is it important when we let them watch on the television and watch on their computers and see? It is, isn't it? The little girl said, uh, this is what my mama told me. I want you to do that. Go cut this man's head off, put it on a platter and do it right now. That is something so far of what we could ever dream of, a little girl asking. Where's her innocence? 
But guys, unconfessed, unrepented sin can dull us. It can blind us to what is right and wholesome and good and clean. Now, I don't want to minimize this because I want to tell you some. Uh, I look at some of you out here and I know who you deal with, you encourage and you, you in ministry. Some children have never seen wholesomeness in their home. They've never known a time where they could go to sleep at night where they're not worried something could happen for them. They don't have enough food to eat and they don't have a mom and daddy protecting them. They're worried about what's gonna happen. So I know that some children in such dire circumstances but this little child, this little girl's just doing what mama tells her to do. She's following in the footsteps of an evil mom. Now, I just want to encourage you. It is so important, so important what we pour into our children, our grandchildren. Pour in the good things and God will bear that fruit. There's a few things about this real quickly. The Bible teaches us bad company corrupts good morals. Part of the problem in some of our life is who we run with. Would you agree? Uh, we run with some people and they help build us up. They encourage us. That's those band of brothers, sorority of sisters. We need those kind. They build us up and encourage us. It's easier to be a good Christian when you're standing beside a good Christian. But sometimes we start running with the wrong crowd and they pull us down. There are some people who get so confused. Well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be with these people, but I'm gonna, my life's gonna help lift them up. It'll never work that way. It'll always pull you down. So one of the things we've gotta check our life is who are we running with? Who are we spending time with? Garbage in, garbage out. We can be affected greatly by the choices we make. Sin grows and it gets worse. Now, this little girl didn't have the internet. She didn't have TV. She didn't have computers. She didn't have uh, what our children today in two seconds can see with their eyes. Young people today see things with their eyes that I've never seen in my life. And it's commonplace to them because they've watched it every day and there's no constraint or restraint by parents. You may say, well, I didn't have any parents teach me or, or show me what's right. I'm sorry for that, but as you're growing up now, you've got a, a Lord and Savior that can help you, give you the strength to make good choices. I want to give you four things, uh, five things before we, we quit here tonight. If you find yourself in that same position where you think, how could this little girl get there where she would ask something so hideous, so gross? How could she do that? It didn't happen overnight. It's yielding and yielding and yielding and listening to a mom who's teaching and setting an example of the wrong things. And pretty soon we find ourselves doing things, saying things, that we never dreamed of. Number one, set up boundaries. Uh, Romans chapter 11, at the end of that chapter says that we should, not, uh, we should not make it easy to sin. We should not, uh, we need to put away everything that we know can tempt us. Some people will get too close to sin and they wonder why they fall all the time because they, they, they made it easy to sin. Number two, beware of your time not a lot of good things happen late at night unless you're where you're supposed to be. A lot of times when we're tired late at night, that's when things happen sometimes. Temptations come uh, that, that bombard us and those temptations are strong. So beware of your time. You probably have heard somebody say uh, halt where a lot of us are tempted. You can remember by the, those 
the, the letters, when we're hungry, when we're angry, when we're lonely, when we're tired. Think about that in your life. That's a lot of times when we get tempted also. Set up boundaries. Realize when you're tempted. Be careful who you run with. Man, I have to do that. I have to be careful. There are people in my life that can pull me down. and I, I need to love them, witness to them, pray for them. But I've got to make sure they don't pull me away from my relationship with Christ. Make sure you have accountability. No matter how old you are here tonight or how young you are here tonight, you need somebody that can speak into your life. I don't care who you are. Billy Graham needed somebody that could come and say, Billy, you're not walking right. You need to turn around. I love you enough to tell you the truth. If you don't have somebody, husband and wife, children, if you don't have somebody, get somebody. We all need accountability. We've just heard a story of a, a, a man who had a great ministry for decades and he's passed on now and the story of some of the things that he had had going on in his life, those things don't happen overnight. We need accountability, somebody that can come and speak in our life. And then lastly, and here I want, I want you to, to realize, this girl didn't have to do what her mama said. We need to obey our parents but not unto sin. She could have said, Mama, I'm not going to do that. Why would you ask me something? That is terrible. And young people here tonight, regardless of the influences that you're going through, and I know those struggles and the stress and the desires and temptations, they're strong. But God is stronger than every one of them. And if you and your heart will reach up in prayer and say, Lord, I need you, I need you now, right now, more than I ever have, he'll give you strength to say no to those things and yes to him. Beg God for the strength and the power to break those strong desires. The passage ends and says, also, although the king was very sorry. That's interesting. That word for very sorry means greatly distressed. <clears throat> it's the same word in Greek that <clears throat> describes Jesus' agony in the, the Garden of Gethsemane. Herod didn't want to put John the Baptist to death, but now his reputation in, in front of all of his buddies is on the line. He calls for an executioner. The executioner goes, and he comes bringing back that head on a platter, gives it to the little girl. How could the little girl look upon and be willing to even touch that? How could they be so far apart, polar opposites in our belief systems? If we let sin be unconfessed and remain in our life, it'll get easier and easier and easier to accept things that are wrong. And pretty soon we're so far removed from what right is. Uh, but if we yield to the Lord over and over again, it gets easier and easier and easier to do the right thing. And God will give strength to do that. Not popular preaching now this passage very much, is it? Because it's pretty serious. He went and had him killed in that way and the disciples came and took his body. You remember who John the Baptist was? Jesus said, there's never been anyone born of woman any greater than John the Baptist. Can two walk together except they be agreed? Nope. We'll have different ideas, different opinions. We'll be separated by all kinds of things. 
But if we agree with Christ, if we agree with the Bible, if we agree with what Jesus teaches us, we will be not only unified to him, but we will be unified to one another. And he'll give us strength to make good choices. That little girl should have said, that's wrong, Mom. I'm not going to do it. That's terrible, and I'm not going to live that way. And you and I didn't need to make those choices too. Pray with me. As Mark comes and gets ready to lead us in our final song, maybe you're here tonight and truly inside your heart, you, you've got a struggle, you've got a battle going on. Oh, the great news is Jesus Christ is powerful enough to defeat that enemy and win that battle for you. We all have some things we're struggling with and, and things that want to pull us away from Christ. But no matter how old you are here tonight, if you will just reach up in prayer and say, Jesus, I need you. I need you right now. Change my heart and change my mind. I agree with you. Whatever your Bible says is true. Whatever you say about me is true. And just confess to him. He'll wash you and make you clean and then you'll feel power. You'll, get, you'll, you'll be given strength like these disciples were to go out and do these miracles. You'll see him working in your life. You'll be able to say no where you need to say no and yes where you need to say yes. Father, please hear our prayers tonight. We've got brothers and sisters that are hurting. We've got people around us right now that are afraid and families that are broken. and We've got people that have addictions and those desires are so strong. We've got people filling up their life with a lot of garbage and we can't help but reap those things that, 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 uh, that causes us to reap. But Jesus, you're a good God. And for everybody will, that will tonight here or online, that'll just say, Lord, closer than I've ever been. That's what I desire. Make me closer to you than I've ever been. You'll know that strength and that power that he gives. Can two walk together except to be agreed? Nope. But we can walk together when we agree with our Lord. Father, hear our prayer, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.